Well, we have been talking about uh, living life in light of eternity, right? So um, we've been talking about it for a minute, but I'm going to kind of, I'm not going to go over everything. So you guys can see this on, I think, you know, you can look on YouTube or whatever. But um, I do want us to look at John 15. Well, let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Can, can I do that? If you're taking notes, you can just write them down. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, the New Living Translation says, We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. And then John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world, right? So, and I'm not talking about a physical world. You know, I'm not talking about the earth. Really, we are not a part or should not be a part of this world system. Okay, because who is the God of this world right now? The devil, Satan, right? So we don't want to be a part of his system, his world. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We live, as you could say, we march to a different drumbeat, right? So, um, and we certainly don't want to, um, you know, be a part of this, this, this world system because Satan is God's enemy. Why would we want to side up with God's enemy? And he's our enemy too, right? Okay. So then in 1 John chapter 2, you can turn to this one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. It says in verse 15, do not, I'm reading New King James, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So John is telling us, don't love this world or the things of the world. Don't, don't love this world system. So for instance, like it talks about, you know, the lust of the flesh. Well, you know, that's wanting to satisfy your flesh. Um, you know, whether it be sexual, whether it be eating, whatever it is, satisfying your flesh. Um, then he talks about the lust of the eyes. You know, I, I, I see something and I just got to have it. Doesn't matter if I have the money or not. I'll go in debt. I'll use a credit card. I just got to have it. And then the pride of life. You know, feeling like we have to promote ourselves. We have to um, attain um, notoriety or whatever it is. But now, let me say that of course, promotion is not bad. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord, from the God. 
But if you are doing it the world's way, they don't care who they backstab, who they step over, who they hurt, who they use. So see, that's the world's way of doing things. We don't want to be a part of that system. Amen? And the same thing, you know, with the lust of the eyes. You know, I can go in the store and I can see a lot of stuff that I like. But you know what? In fact, right now I'm believing God for a a new sofa in my family room. But I am not going to go in debt. Okay? I am, I'll I'll wait. And I, I could go and I could go and put it on credit. Really easy. I got good credit. I could do that. But I don't want to be sitting on that couch and still making a payment, you know. <laughs> and it gets worn, and, you know, a lot of times by the time you get through paying for it, it's no good anyway. So why do I want to do, do that to myself, okay? So that's what I'm saying. So, but God is not opposed to me having a new couch. He's not opposed to that at all. In fact, he gives me the desires of my heart. So I'm not sure how he's going to do it, but I'm going to get it, okay? But not the world's way, God's way. Praise God. So, you know, as I said, Paul is telling us, don't love this world. And then in verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So when we live in light of eternity, we look at things, we look at how we do things, we look at our decisions. We want to base our decisions on how God would have us do things. You know, everything God does, even, you know, when he says, don't do this, all of it is because he loves us, it's for our protection, it's for our good. And if we'll just stick with him, we'll have the best, live the best, drive the best, wear the best, eat the best, if we do it his way. Amen? So, God's not opposed to us doing that, but he also wants us to keep, as we said early when we started this series, God wants us to be reminded that the life that we live on this earth is very, very, very short in comparison to eternity. So don't put all your eggs in one basket, all right? Don't focus everything on getting and doing here and trying to live this life here. Do things that will, you will be rewarded for in heaven. That will make a difference in heaven. You know, we're believing for 3,000 souls. Well, somebody's going to be thankful that you told them about Jesus when they get to heaven. They're not going to be thankful that you were driving, you know, a new car. But they will be thankful that you took the time to share the gospel with them. Right? Someone will be thankful that you took time to pray for them when they weren't feeling well. So things like that are more precious and will make an eternal difference. Now, again, you can have all those other things. And God doesn't mind you having all those other things. He just doesn't want the things to have you. He doesn't want that to be your priority. He doesn't want you to be in this world system, got to have, got to have, got to have. 
you know, I, I got to wear the newest um, clothes or the newest designer clothes because, you know, I want everybody to look at me and think, you know, how, how wonderful I am. I mean, really, if you, you, that's how the world is. But that's not what God is wanting us to do. And um, so... Just remember, the world is fading away. And actually, you know what? As we keep living, mm, <laughs> we kind of, <laughs> okay, I don't have to say anything, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. All right. So um, I wrote down here because this came to me when I was studying. It says, remember Lot's wife. Lot's, Lot's wife, she looked back. When they told her not to, she she was she was she wanted she craved she was lusting after what she was leaving behind instead of focusing on what she could have. Amen. Amen. So we want to remember that. We talked about uh, Solomon how he finally came back around to his senses and figured out that you know to fear God and to obey His command that was the most important thing. Um. But tonight, I want to talk about uh, how, and there's, there's so much, but I want to talk, to, talk a little bit about um, the rewards of fearing God. You know, there really, there are rewards. There's lots of rewards, so I'm not even going to, hopefully we'll see how far we get tonight. But turn to uh, Psalm 31, verse 19. And, you know, before we go there, I'm, I just want to read this. You, you, don't, you can make a note or you don't necessarily have to turn there. But Jesus talked about the fear of the Lord um, or the fear of God. So in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, the New King James Version says this, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more, than, no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So he's saying to fear, we are to fear God, not to fear man. We are to be reverent, we are to have reverence for God. We are to obey God. We are to live our lives for God. We are to remind ourselves that we're not our own, that we've been bought with a price and remind ourselves that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, so we are to remind ourselves who we are and to fear God, okay? So are you at Psalm 31? Because we're going to talk about these rewards. Um, Psalm 31, verse 19 says this. In the New King James Version, it says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid upon those who fear you which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. The Amplified Version says this, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear, revere, and worship you. Goodness which you have wrought for those who trust and take refuge in you before the sons of men. 
And the message says it this way. It says, what a stack of blessings you have piled up for those who worship you, ready and waiting for all who run to you to escape an unkind world. So God has, for those that fear him, those who reverence him, those who obey him, those who honor him, he has a stack of blessings piled up for you. Praise God. Isn't that good? So to serve the Lord will bring untold blessings. To oppose him will bring ultimate judgment. Okay, so one of those blessings is intimacy with God. So um, definition for intimacy is, is uh, marked by very close association, contact, or familiarity. So this is speaking of a relationship that is more than a mere acquaintance. It's speaking of the fact that um, when you are intimate with someone, it takes both parties um, getting to know one another, getting to know one another's most uh, innermost desires and thoughts. It takes time and effort. So when we, um, we have the opportunity, one of the rewards is to have a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God. When we fear him, when we reverence him, when we honor him, we have that opportunity. God loves us, and he wants to be with us. I mean, he made that clear in Genesis when he created Adam and Eve. He wanted someone to fellowship with. That has not changed. He wanted an intimate relationship with man. Amen? So in Psalm 139, go ahead and turn there if you would. Psalm 139. This is David talking. I love though how, how David, um, he was very uh, transparent. <laughs> but he had this amazing relationship with God. And so we can glean a lot from his relationship with God and how he talked about God. So here's one of the things that he said. In Psalm 139, verse 1 through 4, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So this, um, he says that you have um, searched me, or um, some scriptures or some translations say you have examined me. You have examined me. And that word examine means to explore, to search out, to seek out. And then he also talks about the fact that you have not only examined me or, or, or um, searched me out, but you have also, you have um, known me. You know me. God knows us. Isn't that cool? And David said, you know everything about me. There's nothing hidden. You know everything there is to know. You know my thoughts. You know when I lie down. You know when I get up. You know everything. 
Well, that's called intimacy. You know, as um, good friends, I have some, some um, ladies in my life that are just amazing friends. And many of them have been in my life for many years. They know a lot about me. <laughs> you know, they do. They know a lot about me. But they have learned over the years. They've become, we have become intimate with one another. And I know a lot about them. We know each other. We know of each other. We know each other. Um, we can tell when, when the other one is not, is upset or something's going on. You don't even have to say anything. We just look at you and say, okay, what's up? But why? That's because we know one another intimately. I can be in a room of people and my husband can be away from me, but I know his voice. I don't care how big the room is. If I hear his voice, I know his voice. Why? Because we have an intimate relationship. We know one another. He can look at me and I know, oh, it's time to go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, um, so there's this intimacy, it, and it takes both people. You know, it takes both, both people wanting to know one another, taking time to know one another. Now, God knows us, but do we want to know him? Do we want that intimacy with him? Do we fear him enough, and do we want that kind of relationship where we're like, God, I want to know you. I, I really want to know you. I want to know how you think. I want to understand you. And so, um, you know, that was one thing that Moses did in Exodus chapter um, 33, verse 12 through 13. It says, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So this is what God was saying to Moses. I know you by name, and you've also found grace in my sight. And then in verse um, 13, he says, now therefore I pray, so this is Moses talking, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you, and that I might find grace in your sight. So Moses is like, okay, God, you know me, but I want to know you. I want to know how you think. I want to know what's important to you. I want to know what you don't like or what you hate or what brings pleasure to you. I want to know you, God. I hear um, men Sometimes, like, Jesse Duplantis would be an example. Have you ever listened to how he says, how he has these conversations with God? And he, you know, and he's like, you know, just having a conversation. And I'm like, hmm. You know, I stop and think about that. I, I pay attention to that. I said, okay, so this gentleman is having a conversation with him like he's his friend. Moses was called a friend of God. Abraham was called a friend of God. 
So in uh, James 4, 8, of course, we know it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So as we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. If you're dating somebody, you want to draw near to them. You want to stay close to them. You want to get to know them. You want to spend time with them. You make an effort. You make time. You do your research. You do your homework. Take notes. <laughs> right? <laughs> what did you say, Minister Floyd? You better? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's important. Well, it's the same way with God. When we read his word, we're getting intimate with him. When we pray, we're getting intimate with him. When we treat his people right, or people in general, we're getting intimate with him. We're getting to know him. We're wanting to act like him. Amen? So um, Proverbs, um, let me get back to my um, notes here. So talked about Moses. We talked about that. Let me look at, um, oh, James 4, 8 in the New Translation, New Living Translation says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, it's so important that we understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God intimately. And we can talk much about that, but I'm going to move to the next one. Um, God calls us friend and shares his secrets with those who fear him. How many of you like secrets? You like to be in the, the know, like to know what's going on. Oh, I know y'all like secrets. <laughs> secrets aren't all bad. You know, they're good secrets too. So don't think, oh, what are you trying to hide? No, I'm not necessarily talking about that kind of secret. I'm talking about good secrets. God shows us good secrets. So in Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, New uh, King James, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So the secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. Um, the Living Bible says, friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. With them alone, he shares the secrets of his promises. So an example would be Abraham in James chapter 2. Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. And it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son to, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So Abraham was justified, as we know, the Bible says, because, you know, he was obedient. He was obedient to what God told him to do, told him to take his son, sacrifice him. We talked about that a little bit last week. But 
it also says that um, Abraham believed God. He trusted God. You know, when you are um, a friend, when you have want to share your secrets with someone, you want to do that with someone you trust, right? You don't tell everybody everything, right? You shouldn't. <laughs> we, don't, we, we shouldn't do that. Um, the Living Bible says it this way. Don't you remember that even our father Abraham was declared good because of what he did when he was willing to obey God, even if it meant offering his son Isaac to die on the altar? You see, he was trusting God so much that he was willing to do whatever God told him. Um, his faith was made complete by what he did, by his actions, his good deeds. And so it happens just as the scriptures say that Abraham trusted God and the Lord declared him good in God's sight. And he was even called the friend of God. Now, one of the reasons why God was able to call him the friend of God, because it says that Abraham trusted God, but God also trusted Abraham. He trusted him as well. And um, he trusted him so much that, you remember when you think about Sodom and Gomorrah? He was getting ready to, you know, the Lord was getting ready to go and, and they were going to destroy the city. But he was like, should I tell my friend Abraham what I'm about to do? Should I talk to him about that? Now, that's pretty cool that God would take time to talk to this man about what he was about to do. And what's even more amazing to me is that God listened to his counsel. When he began to ask God, he's like, so you're going to destroy the the righteous with the wicked? I can imagine, you know, Abraham was probably thinking, um, wait a minute now. Sodom? My nephew's down there. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, okay, I got to talk to God about this. And so God listened to him. But God said, you know, should, I'm about to do this. Should I tell this to him? God trusted him. God saw him as his friend. God knew that he would, that Abraham, well, Abraham had already proven to God that he would obey whatever he said. So God knew he could trust him. Now, if you compare, well, before I get to that, so God knew that he could trust him. God listened to Abraham. So he said, you know, Abraham started at 50 and he got all the way down to 10. And as we know, there wasn't even 10 righteous people in the city. So both Sodom and Gomorrah were um, destroyed. But, you know, it's interesting. God talked to Abraham. But Lot was the one over in, in, in uh, Sodom. How come God didn't talk to, to, to Lot? Why didn't he talk to him? He was considered, Lot was considered righteous. 
but he wasn't considered God's friend because he didn't obey God. See, what happened with Lot, he wanted to go, you know, he, when, when um, and I'm paraphrasing, you guys can go back and read it in Genesis, but he, you know, there, there were too many, they had too many sheep, so they couldn't share the, the, the land. And so, and their men were fighting with one another. Abraham's and Lot's men were fighting with one another. So Abraham came to him and said, you know, we got we to gotta separate. And he gave him the choice of where he wanted to go. And so Lot was gazing. He was looking at Sodom. He already knew it was wickedness in Sodom. But see, what he did at first, he camped outside the city, but eventually he went right in the city. So think about that. We think that we can side up against sin and we're not going to slip in. He slipped in. And so he was living in this city where People were doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, so much so that the cry was coming up to God. God had said, I need to come down here and see if this is true. Are these people really acting the fool like these cries are? Are they really doing all this, you know, sinning like this? So he came down to check it out. He talked to Abraham, but he didn't talk to Lot. Abraham was considered his friend. He trusted Abraham. Lot, even though he was considered right in the sight of God, you know, because that was, he was one of the ones that was saved. The angels went in and told him, you know, you got to get your family out. So think about it. We can have a Christian who's serving God, who has reverence for God, who loves God, who's willing to obey God. And we can have a Christian, and they're still a Christian, but they live in all kinds of ways and have no reverence for God. Think, oh, you know, God will forgive me. Sin, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it's only for a season. So Abraham was able to get in on God's secrets. He was able to have this conversation with God. He was called a friend of God. Praise the Lord. Moses would be another one. He did, you know, he, um, God, it says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. It says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Wow. Spoke to him face to face. 
as one would speak to a friend. And then in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 through 8, it says, um, New Living Translation, but not with my servant Moses. Of all of my house, he is the one I trust. Of all the children of Israel, he was the one that God trusted. And he says, I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. And really, God was talking to um, Miriam and Aaron because they had criticized Moses. And he's like, they had criticized him. And God is like, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Let, w- w- let, let's get something straight. You were over here criticizing this man who I talked to face to face who I call my friend, do you think you're not going to deal with me? Do you think I'm not going to deal with you? What is your problem? You need to get it together. I mean, God is saying, I trust him. I I I don't trust you. But I trust him. And you have the nerve to talk about him? Praise the Lord. He says, so why are you not afraid to criticize? Why do you not have fear, reverence for me, that you will not criticize the man of God? I was like, oh, my. So, you know what? I don't let anybody talk about my pastor to me. You don't criticize the man and the woman of God. You don't criticize my brother and sister. That's not right. God doesn't like that. None of us are perfect. All of us can, you know, God's working in all of us. I remember um, Pastor David's uh, nephew, Matt, he, when he first got here, he used to sing this song, God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. <laughs> and God is still working on all of us. But to be critical of one another, that God can't call you his friend. God can't, um, praise God, can't trust you. Can't trust you to share his secrets. I think about 9-11, and I heard accounts of uh, Christians that God woke them up and told them to pray. They didn't know what was going on, but they prayed. So can you imagine, I believe Wendy Gibbons was one of those that... um, Share that with me, too. Um, God woke her up to pray that, that morning. She didn't know what she was praying about. And so I think how many more lives would have been lost if people hadn't prayed? 
if people, if God didn't trust somebody to wake up and pray. So he has to trust his people. He wants this intimacy with us. He wants to be our friend. He wants us to be, um, you know, wants to have friendship with us. He wants to be like, you know, like, for instance, you know, Sherry is one of my good friends. We've been knowing each other for 30-something years. (laughs) Yes, she do. (laughs) If she called me and said, in the wee hours of the night or morning, I need you to pray, I would pray. Even if she couldn't give me all the details, I'd still pray. And there's others in this room. I have, I won't, no, I'm not going to say I have lots of friends, but I have very good friends. How about if I say it that way? And, um, and I love you all. But there are some people that just, I'm just more intimate with. And that's the way God is. There's some people that he's just more intimate with. Why? Because they spend time with him. Because they allow him to talk to them. They allow him to mold them. They allow him to um, share things with them, to, to open up the word to them, to help them. They allow that. They, they yearn for that. They want that. So we looked at two people. But then, you know, Jesus called his disciples friends. Um, we'll look at this and then we'll close Um, John chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. And it says, um, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. But then look at the next part, verse 24. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. Hmm. So they begin to trust him because of the miracles, not because they knew him. They knew what he did. Some of us know we're saved, but there's more to salvation than just knowing that. Amen? Amen. And then in John 15, um, 14 through 15, it says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So this is Jesus talking. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known unto you. Up until this point, um, I have not told you my plans, my secrets have not have I not shared the intimate areas of my heart, but now I can trust you like I trusted Abraham and Moses. So God was um, that's another translation. I'm sorry I didn't write down which one that is. But he said, up until this point, I haven't told you what was going on. Because you remember, there was a time where Jesus didn't tell them. He didn't tell them immediately that he was going to the cross. 
There are a lot of things he didn't tell them until later. And so he said in, um, in John 15, 14, um, you are my friends, number one, if you do what I command. Then he says in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father and I have made known to you. So he was sharing with them, okay, this is what is about to happen. This is what I'm here for. I didn't come here to set up kingdom on this earth. I came here to die for your sins. I came here to go to the cross. I came here to be your substitute. He began to share with them. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going back to heaven. You know, so, but he didn't share that with them immediately. Even when he began to talk about it, remember Peter, he had to rebuke Peter because Peter is like, not so, Lord. He's like, get behind me, Satan. So let me leave this on a, um, an up note. Each one of us can be a friend of God. Each one of us can have an intimate relationship with God. Each one of us, all of us, and I don't know how God does it all with all of us, but each one of us is something, it is something that is attainable. And it's something I think we should pursue.